G'day and welcome to the 17X podcast series. My name is Mick Hayes. Thanks for tuning in. I have the absolute pleasure of chatting with entrepreneurs, visionaries, and absolute change makers on how they're using their business as a force for good in the world. We align these conversations with the 17 Sustainable Development Goals, the UN's global goals for the 2030 agenda that we simply must achieve. And it's my firm belief that our business community is our best shot at success. If you're inspired by these conversations, you'll absolutely love our 17X speaking events that tour Australian cities. Jump over to our website, 17sdg.com, that's 17 the word, to find out when our events are coming to a city near you. But for now, sit back and enjoy the show, and don't forget to subscribe where you are listening to stay up to date with our future episodes. G'day, Jen. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Mick. Lovely to be with you. Uh, it's about time we did this. I know we've been talking about it for a while, but you're way overdue. Busier than I am, so you're hard to get hold of, which is awesome. Um, so we're going to run through a, a bit of a get to know Jen before we get into what you're up to right now. And we always like to start with, um, yeah, a little bit of your origin story. You don't have to go too deep, but two, three minute speed dating version. Who are you? Where have you been? And what brought you through to where you are now? Wow. Yeah, speed dating version. Um, so what I do now and maybe start and work back is is really do a lot of stuff around purpose. Um, so helping large corporates um, discover their purpose and helping them activate it, you know, across, um, you know, all their employees, whether they're, you know, a small organisation or a multinational, um, but also working with social entrepreneurs. And that sort of leads to the backstory because the first seven companies I work for were little startups. Um, so I think I've got a lot of startup in my DNA, um, yeah. very grateful for, because I think there's something when you work for a small startup organisation that really filters through in every job I've done since then. Yeah, wow. So um, but what what were you doing uh, uh, before you got into startup land? Were you Ah, uh, that was straight out of you? No, no, no. It was really um, so sort of um, came out of a, a maths degree in university of all things. Um, and then the first company I worked for was um, was actually a distributor of IBM Network products, um, a little Australian company, and I was employee number three. Um, so there you go. And then that led to working in cybersecurity and um, a digital marketing company, a multimedia startup over in London, and then back to another cybersecurity company and, um, and then into sort of more telecommunication startups. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah, quite, quite busy. <laughs> when I've when I've told people about you, um, so listeners, Jen and I met maybe I'm going to say nearly a year ago now. It's probably gone back right. a little while through yeah. a mutual friend. Um, g'day, Sam. Thank you for the connection. Um, yeah, I've often kind of uh, I'm very revered in your presence in a lot of the times because I just find you so intelligent. Um, and you know your experience really shines through. But you're very humble. I wouldn't say humble is the right word. I think. Um, very um, kind of relaxed about it and and uh, very easy to, to talk to, but the gems that come out are just are just huge. Um, so this conversation is going to be really interesting. Um, how did you shift from small startup stuff to then go into like jump up into corporate? What was that like? Mm, it was a bit of a bit of a culture shock, I have to say. But um, it's a really good question because um, you know, and it sort of comes to back to what I do today is I quickly realised that you know, while startups have great cultures, they're very clear on their purpose, they're very agile, they're full of passion and innovation. 
they really lack some of the things that the big guys have, which is, you know, a lot of money, size, scale, distribution, a lot of people they can can throw at problems to get things done. And I realised that I needed to know a lot more about the other side to that coin um, because I think the magic happens in the middle of that when, you know, small startups can partner up with big corporates and actually they have something that the corporate wants and the, and the corporate actually gets some value from what the startup can do. So I really felt that I needed to do my time on the other side of the equation to really understand because, you you know, we all have perceptions about the other side until we go on the other side and then we, you know, it's all about getting empathy, isn't it, and understanding. And so you can sit there and judge or you can sit there and do it and then actually understand both sides of the coin. So it was it was really about putting it on the dance card for me. Yeah, nice. Being able to really understand the perception of a startup versus a corporate and then bring those two worlds together. So what, what was your first corporate gig? Uh, first corporate gig was actually yeah. Optus, was Optus. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. yeah, and that was um, that was back in the day. I actually did two stints at Optus, but that was that was back in the day where they had just been acquired by cable and wireless yeah. for those that have been with Optus a long time. So that was interesting for them because they had gone from a, you know, kind of a, a, um, a really dynamic startup um, in Australia, obviously, um, about 20, I think 25 years old now, and then got acquired by one of the largest telcos in the world, Cable and Wireless. So they went through their own sort of cultural um, transformation when that acquisition took place. Yeah, sure. And so um, what are you doing with yourself now? So, so really come back full circle. So what I'm now doing, um, and I, I did a little stint just before I've gone freelance, um, working for EY, which is an amazing organisation, um, 360,000 people. It's a huge organisation yeah. of consultants, yeah. And I was running their um, part of their customer experience team, but also running their purpose activation um, teams, uh, consulting into large corporates across Asia. Um and then I decided I was going to go and do this freelance, but actually bring this down to social entrepreneurs, but still do the corporate stuff. So I think there's a theme in my history as I'm saying it out loud. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. constant need to want to bring big guys and small guys together yeah. um, for moments of, of value. All right. So let's unpack that because you were just talking about this <laughs> stuff before we started. I said, why are we not recording this? <laughs> Um, what is the connection that you're seeing and how do these two worlds actually coexist and work together? Because we often look at corporate SME as you are either one side of that coin or the yeah. other. And if you're not in that boot, then you can't be in the other boot. And but how do we actually fit them two together? And, and mm. where do they now where's the opportunity, I guess, over the next yeah. little while for this? Yeah, look, and, and I think I think when you understand both sides, there are tremendous opportunities there that, you know, I'd love for, you know, corporate CEOs to understand more clearly and for social entrepreneur founders to be able to sort of know where to look. I'll give you a good example. Um, I had been doing some work a couple of years ago with Kiwi Bank, um, who's the only sort of domestic um, bank in New Zealand or one of the largest. And, um, you know, they had been going through a purpose activation process um, and really trying to tease out what their purpose was around helping Kiwis um, be better off. And one of their aspirations as part of their purpose was to really embed um, financial literacy into the curriculum because you're probably aware we've all had that where I'm sure when you were growing up you would have had your bank issue with the, the little 
you know, piggy bank account and they want yeah. to get you in early and keep you forever. We had the Dolomite um, account with CBA. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and and you can be a bit sceptical of that saying, you know, that's all that's all yeah. sort of wicked marketing and, and all that. But but actually, you know, what if you sort of step back, what they're trying to do is really get that sense of, you know, what's it like to save when you're young and understand things like interest and compounding. And I'm sure we all look back and say, geez, if only I had have actually bought a property when I was younger or hadn't run my credit card up at university or things like that. And so Kiwi Bank's big idea here was to really say, what if we could, um, you know, go back and make financial literacy actually part of the school curriculum mm. in New Zealand. So it's not the role of a bank to actually come along and do that, but it actually every kid leaves school with, you know, the same way they know about maths and English and humanities, they know about financial literacy. So um, they've been working with, um, with obviously the government because they're partially government-owned to actually really advocate for that change, but also with a social entrepreneur, actually a B Corp called Banker, and Banker are a, f- a fabulous B Corp who um, uh, have really just come up with a, a, a very intelligent app and a curriculum that is actually taught. And I, I don't don't quote me on how many schools, but it's thousands of schools in New Zealand were independently using this program. And so what's actually happened now is it's this lovely sort of partnership occurring between the New Zealand government, Kiwi Bank, and this bank, this B Corp that's only a couple of people. And what's actually happening is this just incredible impact and value because each player is actually providing the thing that only they can provide, you know. So um, it's at this intersection of small and big and government that we're actually seeing some of the biggest shifts in because they're system problems. They're wicked system problems mm. that need to be solved. And that, that's everywhere, Mick, that we, we look at the moment. Yeah, and so when you bring you know three categories like government, corporate, and SME together, you just talked about they can only bring you know what what they can bring. Correct. What do you see as the main? I guess what are they bringing to the table? Well, you know, if you're going to change the curriculum for uh, for schools, that has to that has to happen in the Department of Education, right? No one else can do that. Um, if you're going to be a specialised um, educator of financial literacy, you better be a bloody good, you know, school teacher, and that's what these um, the, the banker skill is. And if you're, you know, kind of wanting to understand what type of content you're going to need to provide that financial literacy, then someone like a bank is going to understand what where those points of problem are. You know, I mean, the bank knows where they're getting, um, you know, mortgage overruns and where they're getting people with, um, you know, difficult financial situations. So if you start pouring all that data uh, into the problem, guess what? You actually can see all sides of it. You've got a really, uh, you know, a unique ability to be able to solve solve it holistically and solve it completely. Yeah. And do you see that, um, you know, if you think of a corporate, the massive business, lots of money, as you said, lots of scale, reach, distribution, but often, you know, slow maybe or red tape, lots of people, decision makers. Does the agility of a SME partner Huge. outweigh some of those handbrakes and Absolutely. allow 
just the positives yeah. to shine through together. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think that's one of the biggest things that, you know, when I'm working with corporates is, you know, their 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 natural sort of behavior is to say, you know, we can create a project, we can solve for it internally. Um, let's just throw money. And and it's generally not money or um, you know, intent that stops a corporate. It is some of the things you're talking about. It is the fact that they've got a lot on their plate. Um, there is a lot of hierarchy and, you know, not necessarily red tape. I've worked in a lot of corporates. They don't set out to create red tape, yeah. but it just the size and scale dictates that they need certain, you know, governance and process within to make things work. So so it's it's also about just making sure you're partnering with someone who is just a specialist. And when they do nothing but that, they're great at it and they're just, you know, it's a superpower. So unleashing that superpower with the backing of a large corporate can be just all they need to um, to move to greatness. It sounds like, you know, I've heard um, some companies, particularly in the startup, quick to scale space, you hear them talk about how, you know, they have an internal entrepreneur or an intrapreneur, if you like, to help <laughs> the innovation and the <laughs> kind of fast moving and all that. You know, maybe the, the corporate world needs to look at how instead of an intrapreneur, they have this the SME kind of, small agile companies in there to help them with innovation and, and speed to market in certain things. Yeah, and it, you, you raise a good problem because a uh, well, good point because there's usually a head of innovation in most of the corporates. And I often talk to these these um, these roles within corporates and say that, you know, one of the most important functions of that role is to be a bit of a, um, you know, a dating agency, right? So that, that head of innovation should be scanning the market and understanding who these social entrepreneurs or B Corps are that are honing in on that particular area. And then, you know, be, be the dating agency that says, well, hang on, what if, what if the two of us would get got together? How would that, how would that unfold? Um, rather than actually trying to tackle and, and do all that innovation internally. Yeah. You know, innovation comes in different different packages, right? It can, yeah. it can be, it can be, you know, partnership can be an innovation in its own right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's exactly why 17X exists, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Hence why we hit it off on our first uh, our first date. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. we still haven't met in person. I can't yeah, I know. Shake, shake your hand and uh, give you a hug. It's all the virtual. Um, <laughs> if we were to shift shift focus a little bit and go tactical, right? So you you work in this space now as a freelancer. You work with corporates and and you know in part the SME side as well. Um, corporates they're, they're they're coming along. They're wanting to engage things like purpose, the purpose pillars, the SDGs, ESG. Without giving all your secrets away, I guess what's the go to to get started for these? big behemoth companies or even the small guys, you know, mm. are, all right, we've been to 17X, we've heard Jen speak, now what are we going to do? How do we do this? <laughs> Apart from ring you um, up and book a meeting. I don't, I don't know if there's one size fits all answer to that, Mick, but I will say that the the sort of most powerful question I'll ask a CEO um, and all those CEOs who are listening in will know this because I would have asked them that, is, you know, if they've already got a purpose, which many organisations, nearly all corporates have, it's nearly part of the sort of corporate hygiene to have a purpose. What I would say, though, is very few can actually answer the question I ask them, which is, okay, 10 years from now, tell me what impact you will have created that demonstrates to me that you're purpose-led. Um, and not just in broad, abstract terms, but who, what, how are you going to help? 
how much are you going to help them? How are you measuring that? How are you testing that? And often that's what sort of creates a bit of a pause and they say, well, haven't really thought about it in those sort of concrete terms. And I'll tell you that the great purpose-led companies that I've worked with, they they don't even miss a beat when you ask them that question. They, you know, they they don't go and try and focus on all things to all people. What they do is they really understand what their superpowers are and where to point them for maximum yeah. effect. We were talking about this before we got on this call, which is, you know, there are some things these days that are just expected as corporate hygiene, whether it's, you know, you know, thinking about gender equality or thinking about sort of being a, a climate good corporate citizen. Um, but, but where are you really going to punch above your weight? You know, what's your area? If you're a telco provider, what are you doing to close the digital divide? You know, if you're Unilever, what are you doing to actually drive sustainability through your entire um, value chain? So really thinking about what, what superpowers you have at your disposal and if you were to really get behind something and drive impact, where could it be? Yeah. yeah. So I really encourage corporates to, to focus you know, to, to sometimes it's more scary to say this is the area of impact I'm going to go out on a cliff and focus yeah. on, as opposed to just safely stand behind this big ESG or CSR kind of vast portfolio of things. Just, you know, be bold and be courageous and go out there like Kiwi Bank did and said, you know, 10 years from now we want to bake in financial literacy into the school curriculum. That's what you're going to measure us against. Yeah, great. I um. I'm still nudging my way through um, Paul Polman's net positive at the moment. I was reading it on the plane out here to Perth. Um, and there was this a quote, and I can't remember what company because in that book he quotes thousands of companies. Yeah. But a, a particular lady that was the CEO of a company, I can't remember which one it was, but she asked her board, this is so cool, she asked her board to write a letter to their grandchildren and tell them about the things that they achieved whilst they were on that board. Wow, that's a great one. Like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, and and it's really, that's very similar to the question I was asking the yeah, CEO because yeah, yeah. really what we're asking is, hey, CEO, 10 years from now, what's your legacy? What yeah. are you going to be, you know, what are you going to proudly say, this is actually what we did? Mm-hmm. We didn't just do all this corporate governance stuff. We actually, um, you know, smashed it out of the park on this particular area that we were striving to, to you know, to have impact around. Yeah, absolutely. And then looking at, you know, what platform does that then provide for the following team Correct. and beyond? Correct. And, um, if you think about, you know, systems change and and what what you change now creates the opportunity for later and, mm. and really kind of setting the habit for the future and it's pretty hard to kind of go back, right, once you've got it going. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the other side of that, Mick, is a good point, is that once, once you do go down that path, and a good example springs to mind here is CBS, um, for listeners who haven't been over to the States, they're kind of the equivalent of the Amcal pharmacy chain of America, huge. They've got about, I think it's about, 10,000 outlets um, and they're yeah, exactly they're huge um, but about I think it was back in 2014 they went on a purpose discovery um, journey with their CEO Larry Menlo who came in took his leadership team away and basically decided that their purpose was going to be around um, you know creating health and well-being they're not the exact words but you know this this ability to focus on um, you know customers health and well-being and when they came away from that offsite, um, they did a bit of a sort of an audit check and said, well, what products or services do we have 
you know, on the shelves at the moment that don't fit with that sort of purpose direction. Mm. And one of the things they realised was back then in America, um, pharmacies still do sell cigarettes. And that was a $2 billion um, revenue-generating product line for them. Um, So they were faced with a bit of a tough decision. If we really want to create health and wellbeing across our customers, how could we possibly sell $2 billion worth of cigarettes? So right. five weeks five weeks after they did that offsite, they announced, and people can go and check it out because it was a pretty pretty famous moment on uh, on the news channels, um, CBS actually pulled the pin on $2 billion worth of product sales. Wow. Um, but what's actually happened since then is not only have they um, been able to substitute um, that lost revenue with, you know, billions and billions of dollars of health and well-being. Um, products, what they've actually become renowned for is this just huge activist around um, people quitting. And so they're known. Um, you go and ask anyone in America about CVS and they'll say, oh, that's where you go if you want to quit. And so wow. they've just um, really stepped up. They're doing a lot of research with universities around, um, you know, what are some of the ways that today you can you can give up cigarettes and, and do it more permanently. So, you know, as they've got more courageous, they've actually lent into that and they've actually become renowned for as, as a voice there for a tobacco-free world and now a vaping-free world. They're on that sort of yes. route to, to remove vaping. So I'm sure 10 years ago they didn't start up with with that end in mind, but um, you know it's become more self reinforcing and stronger as they as they've got um, authenticity with it. Yeah, and you feel like with that clarity of the end in mind, this is where we want to be in ten years. That gives you courage. Correct. That gives you you know the, the myopic focus where you need it to actually get through some of the the mud, like wiping mm-hmm. off two billion dollars worth of revenue. Yeah, and look no at how he was. He was term pain in absolutely. There, right? Look, he he faced um, incredibly um, negative commentary from the from the investor community, from general coverage. You go back and look at it, and the guy was absolutely canned. Um, but you know, to his credit, he held his ground. And you know, a year later, I think their revenue had gone that that lost revenue had gone up fourfold. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Because people like us stood back and said, "What a great thing to do," and applauded yeah, it. Absolutely, and. Is there a way do you think to measure that brand power that comes along with positioning, you know, with a line purpose right now, or do you think it might be coming? Oh, look, I, I think I think um, I always say you absolutely want to be able to, to measure progress against purpose, but don't get so hung up hung up about it that it stops you from taking the first step. So it's a really fine balance here between, um, you know asking the question, is what we're doing going in the right direction yeah. versus some corporates who love to measure things. We know that KPIs and measurements are things that corporates typically do really well. Um, just not just becoming paralysed with overanalyzing whether it's the right thing to do or not. So I, I, I think it's a really good question, but balance is required. And sometimes some of the best things, like look at Elon Musk and what he's, he's doing in terms of colonising Mars, I'm sure many of the decisions he's making, he he doesn't have um, measurement. Possibly even measurement doesn't exist because he's so bleeding edge with some of the stuff he's doing. But yep. he's trusting his gut and he's trusting his um, his clarity of purpose to make the right decisions as he goes forward. Yeah, so you so got to do you got to do both, right? 
Absolutely. And like, even if you think back to some of the innovators, like, you know, Jobs in the 70s, early days of Apple was talking that whole thing around, you know, if you really love what you do and you're, you're aligned with purpose, it can, it'll Correct. get through all those tough times. Correct. Uh, Correct. But the ultimate test, right, is if you're doing it well and you've got an authentic brand and you're living and breathing your purpose, you will have customers advocating and referring others. You won't have to run an ad campaign because people, you know, Bank Australia is one of my favourite brands. Um, for every customer that joins Bank Australia, 11 more um, referrals come in yeah. from that one person, right? That's that's what a purpose-led brand does. It just it creates yeah, incredible loyalty. Right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So if, if you're living your purpose, the result is that your your growth will occur. Yeah. Something you touched on in there was, was around kind of wanting to over-measure and get it right, possibly before you even start. Where's the, where do you think the balance is in preparation and, and kind of planning it out versus, all right, mm. we just got to get moving and we'll optimise as we go? Yeah, yeah. I love to use the word hypothesis here because I think it's, it's um, sometimes a very overused, overused word consultants use. But, but actually, you know, if you, if you replace that with, say, straw man, what I think is a really good discipline is when you come up with those, you know, that one or two areas of impact that you want to shoot for 10 years out, you should actually take a stab at how might we measure, you know, what could we use, what are things we could use as proxies if we can't exactly measure, um, and, and just come up with a bit of a list and then start doing it and then three months later pull out that list and say, okay, how does that straw man look now that we've been doing it for a couple of months? And what I find is often that straw man is, you know, the old 80-30, that straw man is usually... Um, pretty directionally right. And so three months down the track when everyone's got their, their sort of um, their hands a bit, a bit more dipped into the mud, um, pull out that sort of ideal measurement framework and, and try and see if it actually can give you some, some further direction. Yep. yep. I reckon there's a chance that we can get lost on actually what our product is all about and what we're setting out to do. So the, the reason I ask you that question, right, so I was chatting to a beer company earlier today saying, hey, give us some beer for our events, right? Come along and be our beer sponsor. And they're super aligned um, and they're a B Corp and they do all this great stuff. And um, for the sake of respecting the convo, I won't mention who I was chatting to, but um, we're talking about things and all their great things that they're doing, the sustainability stuff, the regeneration and all these really cool projects and, and um, you know, overarching, very in-depth, fully ingrained, holistic approach to what they're trying to achieve. But then he said, well, but we're also a beer company, right? We've got to sell beer. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, you do. And it came up again for me about an hour later. I was chatting with um, our good mate Ronan, and he was mentioning that, um, you know, a bloke that he that he met through his his, uh, his children was like, yeah, we've got all this purpose stuff, but can't we just, just sell ice cream because we sell frigging ice cream? Like, it's just ice cream, right? <laughs> so... Uh, are we at risk of, of forgetting about our product at, in times or is it maybe we just need to get these guys to realise, yeah, your product is how you do all that stuff. So yeah, that's where yeah. it is. This, this actually comes back to that. We are having a conversation covering a lot of these points before, but <laughs> this, is, this is where I think the selection of the area of impact, um, those that do this really well use yeah. their core product at the centre of that purpose activation. Um, 
rather than pick something that isn't because then you end up with this, well, hang on, am I focusing on the product or service or am I focusing on the purpose activation? I think, you know, Unilever is an often cited example here, but, you know, Unilever lean in um, to the sort of superpower of the products and services. So if you you take Dove as a great example of, um, you know, the sort of purpose of the Dove brand is around women's body self-esteem. And if you look at any of the just amazing content that Dove have created, it doesn't talk about any of the products or services, but um, at the heart of what those products and services stand for is all tied back to this body self-image. And so by reinforcing that, it it draws people back to the product and service quite naturally and authentically, as opposed to sort of saying, well, we're standing for, I don't know, pick something that's not that, and then having to try and bring the congruence between, you know, the purpose voice and the product or service. So when I'm working with organisations, I like to say, you know, where does the passion lie and where is that overlap between the products so that those, those two things are one and the same? Yeah, because yeah. it. otherwise you do get that problem, and I have seen that before, where kind of the purpose is sort of taking them on a slightly different tangent, and then they're kind of going, "Well, hang on, we just need to do our thing." I don't think they should be a choice. I think they should be one and the same. Yeah, like trying to use a farming product to fix the ocean or something. It's just yeah, dollars. <laughs> yeah, you know, try and try and it shouldn't. People shouldn't have to join those dots. It should should be really clear. If you, I, I think Bank Australia is a lovely example because if you understand Bank Australia's history, they started as the CSIRO's credit union, right? That's how they. So what's in their DNA is is you know caring for the planet, scientists, um, and what do they do now? They stand for clean money and clean sort of um, energy, and yep. so to me that's. That's that's right back in their DNA. That's yeah. totally authentic to the brand. Yep. Yeah. So, um, you know, we are a Global Goals uh, podcast. Uh, where <laughs> do the Global Goals fit into all this? What's your what's your take on 17 colourful, very deep, but also macro and or micro goals from the UN? I, I love them because I think what it does is it gives some shape and structure to the purpose discussion. And I often, you know, there's a lot of companies out there doing SDG bingo, which is, you know, you open up the ESG report or the annual report and they've done a beautiful job of showing you how everything they're doing covers every single one of the SDGs. And this sort of comes back full circle to what we were talking about at the start, Mick. Yeah, they should be doing as much as they can, but which is which of those 17 SDGs are they really going to go over a cliff for and be courageous for? You know, is it, is it around poverty? Is it around water shortage? Is it around partnerships? Because often it's not clear to me what that is when reading the annual report. Um, so I think the SDGs is a great way for you to say, you know, if there was only one or two of these that you had to put your reputation and your name against, which ones would you pick and how do they align up to your real core product and service? Um, so that's, that's you know, I think a, a wonderful structure for CEOs, boards and leadership teams to actually assess where their focus should be and area of in- impact should be. So yeah. um, I've used the SDG framework many times to actually facilitate that discussion Yeah. Um, because there is always this want to spread across all of them to look good. Is it a look good thing or is it like a, uh, we, we're a big engine so we have to have 
you know, we have to be seen to put our resources across all 17 of these because, quote, unquote, we can, but yep. we obviously can't. I think it's a bit of both. I think it's yeah. a bit of both. They're, they're, you know, there's, there's no question that organisations are aware that investors are making decisions against ESG performance now like they've never done before, right? I think yeah. it's nearly 98% of the, the, of the top 2,000 organisations now have annual ESG reports. And, and you, you look at this in terms of, you know, British American Tobacco was rated the fifth most sustainable company in the world, yet they kill 8 million people from cigarettes, right, every right. year. So, sorry, not 8 million, 800,000, but you know, still a bloody big number. Yeah, yeah, how, yeah. How, do you, how, do you, how do you reconcile those two things? How can you be fifth most sustainable company in the world and create that sort of human health disaster? So, yeah. um, so you can game ESG. Um, so I think there's... There's a real need to sort of step back from, yep. you know, the governance process of ESG and actually say which parts of, you know, which parts of the ESG framework are we going to stand up yep. um, and be counted. So what would you do? I gave you a billion dollars, global distribution and oh, 50,000 wow. employees. What's it's your re- SDG? Where do you reckon well, you focus your It's your probably, skills? I I am a really big advocate for um, empathy and I it may sound like a really crazy thing to do but if if we could go and truly teach everyone empathy and what I mean by that is sort of going right back to what I said before if you're a small business owner and you could really understand um, how corporates make decisions and corporates understand how small business and then take that down to an individual level if we all stop to seek to understand someone else before actually diving in mm. I think it would fundamentally change the way we go about business and the way we go about solving problems in the world. I think too often we go, we know best, we jump in, whether it's at an individual level or at a corporate level, and we don't actually stop to understand what's actually going on. And I think there's so much wasted effort going on around the SDGs at the moment because a corporate goes, I know the answer, or someone else says, and, and they're not actually seeking to collaborate. They're not seeking to listen. They're not seeking to actually partner. Mm. I imagine how much wasted energy is going on across those, those SDGs yeah. in the world. The, um, um, the so I do an empathy masterclass. An empathy masterclass. I love <laughs> For it. the world. <laughs> I wanted, I, on, along those lines, like um, I was talking to someone the other day that I reckon we need to go back and redefine um, what the MBA is like you talked yep. about curriculum before. Yeah. You know, this, the, the whole definition of business is so outweighed and outdated. Right. And this it whole is. idea of an MBA, you know, I was like, we need to rejig it to an MBI, like masters of business impact yep. and look at what is an actual business here to do. And it's what a great idea. vehicle for change. Yeah. Um, and I like that, you know, our mate Eli Harrell and talks a lot about how business is a vehicle to fix humans, human-created or human-centric problems, and that's how we need to use you know, yep. use them as that vehicle. Um, I love the empathy piece. Um, now, Livin, who I do this mental health facilitation for, just shout out to those guys. Um, there's this great slide that we use, particularly with school kids, around, uh, yeah, getting getting and taking the opportunity to understand that based on what you experience in your life dictates how you react in the present, right? And, and can we be okay if we're a little bit different and not have to have the answers or can we actually understand what other people are going through? And business is no different, like you say. Yeah. 
and the opportunity to actually communicate and work together the same way that we would if our mate was having a hard time, we sit down and listen and figure out those solutions together. You know, I think um, I love that you mark on empathy. Maybe that's SDG 18. It's funny. I do this little exercise when I run workshops for corporates mainly, but um, we kick off and we actually um, yeah, pair up um, and one person actually has to start talking about what motivates them. That's the question, what motivates you? The other person has to do nothing that other than nod. They're not allowed to chime in with ideas yeah. or suggestions or build on it. They have to be utterly silence, silent for three minutes, right? Wow. And it sounds like three minutes you think that's nothing. I'll tell you two things I observe every time. One, the other person's nearly dying to talk and to, 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 to sort of, you know, yeah. double-click on everything. But the other really interesting thing is the person will sp- spend 30 or 40 seconds saying what motivates them, and then there's this really awkward silence because they've given the easy yeah. head answer, you know, the kind of one that just reels yeah. off that you do to be polite. Yeah. And then there's this silence, and then they realise they've got to fill another two minutes. And actually what happens then is they start going from head to heart. Yeah, what really the, motivates you. What really, because <laughs> I have to keep talking. Um, and it that, that's kind of what I mean. Three minutes is a long time to just listen in utter silence, not thinking about what the response is or how you're going to come up with a clever idea, but just to let the person have a voice. Um mm-hmm. So really good tip there if you're running a workshop. Do that little exercise and cool. um, you just right start right? off getting everyone from head to heart. Um, yeah. It's a great way to just transition. Absolutely. And not and like I think for like the listening side of it, how can you listen without uh, there's either that ego thing, like we have to kind of, like you say, kind of double click on what someone said. We do it all the time. <laughs> we all do it. And it's yeah and but we kind of top it up. It's whether it's our ego on the line or we want to be heard as well or, you know, I love it, the idea of shutting down. And it's, 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 a, it's such that. a long time. <laughs> like you'll sit there going, God, we must have been doing this for 10 minutes, but <laughs> three minutes of intensive listening um, is an eternity. And I just say, you know, imagine if you started all your meetings with intently listening to the person speaking for, for three minutes, how much um, more would we all understand and be able to get to um, get to the answer together? So, yeah. It would be a powerful morning huddle, right? Wouldn't it? Just- hey. Shut I'm going to do that with my kids. Yeah. That's a, that's a parent thing. <laughs> Shut up and listen you to can, your kids, you can, you can, you can You can do it anywhere, right? And and when they have the mic, when anyone has the mic, we love it. You know, we we feel really, really respected and really seen. Hey, speaking of mic, cool segue, you're on the mic in <laughs> Melbourne at 17X. Bang, look at that. I should be a radio host. Can't wait. Can't wait. So everyone listening, um, Jen is joining us on 17X in Melbourne, so you can come and join in person and hear this uh, wonderfully experienced human share with us all sorts of cool stuff in 17 minutes, 17 minutes only, that is, Jen. Um, I'll do it, you, mate. If you can't make Melbourne, you jump online and um, you can stream in from anywhere in the world. Uh, so it's, it's going to be a good one. Um, I, uh, I'm super stoked that we're filming them because I don't have to bring a notepad and I can just watch them all back. Um, <laughs> now, you're always reading interesting things. What are you reading at the moment? 
Oh, what am I reading at the moment? I've just read um, General Stan- Stanley McChrystal's Team of Teams, Ooh. which is which is it's a really cool book. Um, sort of about how you know, kind of a lot of things we've talked about: empathy, understanding, listening. But actually, how do we how do we create these really productive, high performing team of teams? So that's my little tip at the moment, um, and all based on. Um, some of the things they did through the um, Iraq war in terms of, you know, when the, when, when the, um, when your opposition is uh, not playing normal rules and uh, sort of going differently, you have to think outside of, of the sort of military box to come up with different strategies to, to form success. Excellent. Well, look, um, it's been fascinating to chat. I think we're pretty much out of time. Um, I guess my last question is uh, I'm interested to know, who's your go-to company for this kind of stuff? Who should we go and check out research and understand how they're doing it? Cause they just do it so bloody well. And you can't mm. say Patagonia. Mm. Oh, Patagonia is always. Everyone, everyone talks about Patagonia or Unilever. Like, Let's let's think outside that box. But who? Who's well, going to actually, that? rather than giving you a one answer, I will give a bit yeah. of a plug for for someone I really admire who's doing a great job. So, um, Dr. Andrew White runs the um, the the Global Leadership Program for Oxford um, Said Business School, and yeah. he's um, running a podcast at the moment called Leadership Twenty Fifty, um, and bringing on some just phenomenal speakers into his um, his podcast. So he's done Paul Polman, he's done Alan Jope. Um, but he's done some less known um, social entrepreneurs. But the one I want to give out a shout to is, um, I think his name is David. I can't remember his surname, but he's the CEO of Plastic Bank. And this is an amazing social entrepreneur organisation who's um, created a currency for um, waste plastic um, and allows wow. people in third world countries to pick up wasted plastic or surplus plastic on the beach, drop it off at these effective plastic banks where they weigh it. And then they actually put an equivalent amount of money for that plastic into their bank account. And they can use that for their kids' education, for food, for insurance. And the great thing is, is that the um, the corporates actually then buy this plastic called social plastic, and then they use it to in their products. So you'll see Windex is a great example. When you see Windex, you'll, you'll see on the bottle, it says this bottle made out of social plastic. So this wow. great sort of... Um, flywheel if you like of um sort of reusable plastic helping third world countries but also going back into um corporate supply chain so shout out to if you want to listen i think he's got about 16 podcasts on there and it's just like a a master class of wisdom love it dr andrew white all right yep um leadership 2050 uh, you'll find it magic all right so look if people want to connect with you apart from turn up at 17x in melbourne (laughs) <laughs> um, how do they do that? What's um, the best way? Just uh, you'll find me on LinkedIn, Jenny McLaughlin, or um, go to my website, Purpose Led Transformation. Okay, uh, sweet. Be great. So we'll put those links in the footnotes. So anyone uh, listening in that says, hey, I need to either chat with Jen or get her into my business or whatever, um, those links are there. So just make it happen. And uh, Jen is, as you've heard, just an absolute powerhouse, and I'm so grateful to have you in my circle, mate. It's, mate, it's mutual, right back at you, and have just um, been amazing to meet you and can't wait to meet you in person and 17X go. Yes, we're off to the races. Um, enjoy your uh, week ahead. Will do. Thanks, mate. Well, that's it for today's episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. 
Be sure to subscribe wherever you are listening so that you can stay up to date with our future episodes. And now it's time to jump over to our website, 17sdg.com, that's 17 the word, to see when we are coming to your city with our 17X speaking event that's touring Australia in 2022. We're coming back to the stage in every major city in this country to put social innovators, change makers and leaders on stage to share with us in their keynote how they're using their business, their brands, their products and their people as a force for good in the world for the 2030 agenda. We can't do this stuff alone. We need you in the room. I really hope to see you there. But for now, go out and create some impact and enjoy great things.